chapter 5, the fifth chapter in 2 Corinthians. While each of you are finding our central chapter, I'd like to begin our time by reading two verses that I began our time with last Sunday. Acts 2 and 47, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 5 and 14, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. If, if your experience in church life has been anything at all like mine, we probably know little to nothing about this day-by-day adding. The Lord constantly adding to their number. A person gets saved here, a person gets saved there. Some of you who were at the last church that I pastored may have been in attendance when I asked a public question, who was the last person to be saved amongst us? And the person who we finally discovered was the last person was saved four years prior to me asking that question publicly. Where is this day-by-day constantly adding new believers to the church? First, let me just say this. Please don't be filled by churches with large numbers. I say that because most churches that boast large numbers, they're not increasing because of new believers. Very very often they're increasing because they're simply borrowing believers from other churches. Notice in the verse I read, the Lord was adding to their number. We need to know the difference between when the Lord is doing it and when we're doing it. It is possible for Christians to get very creative. They can get very creatively clever in figuring out ways to attract an audience. Robert Mueller once said the church is not to attract the crowd, but to attract a church. There's a difference. And and the early church, the church we read about in Acts 2 and Acts 5, well, they had something we need. They had something we need. But before we find out what they had, are we willing to first ask last week's question again this week? Some of you weren't here last week, and so for, for your benefit, I'm just bringing a little bit of last week's lesson into our lesson. 1 Corinthians 14 and 26 says, What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification when we assemble. We've done that, right? This would be called when we assemble. And it says someone has a teaching. 
we're going to have one this morning. Last week's question again this week. What is the outcome? Let me read it again. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Something needs to come out of. Not once in a blue moon, but every time God's word is taught. There, there needs to be an outcome. What we're about to learn is something the early church had, and that's why they had the outcome they did. The question is, do we have it? Do we want it? Do we really want it? Last week I shared a story from that two-day conference that Lori and I attended. A man from Dallas Theological Seminary would wake up every morning telling God how much he loved him. We should do that. We, we really should. But one of his professors, a man by the name of Howard Hendricks, gave him, I think, biblical advice. He says, before you tell him how much you love him, first remind yourself every morning of how much God loves you. That's good advice. But it's also what we're going to learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice as I read verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. To God. Here's what we're going to learn from the verses just read. It is not our love for him that controls how we live. It's his love for us that controls how we live. Now that might sound like semantics. What's the difference between me being controlled by his love for me or me being controlled by my love for him. It's not semantics, and here's why. On our very, very best day, we could never love him the way he loves us. The greatest motivating factor to living for him is to fully appreciate and understand 
his love for us. That was good advice that Howard Hendricks gave. When you wake up every morning, don't begin by telling him how much you love him. Begin every morning reminding yourself how much he loves you. Now, I see lessons in the verses just read. I see lessons on love. I see lessons on living. And I see lessons on loyalty. If you were paying careful attention, right about now, someone is thinking, I see love. How many have the word love in verse 14? We all have that? How many have the word live in verse 15? We got that. Someone right about now is asking, where is the word loyalty? It's not there. But here's a word that is found in the verses just read, the word ambassador. And here's what we're going to learn about ambassadors. They are loyal. They are loyal. Let's talk about an ambassador. When you think of an ambassador politically, what do you think of? All right, good. That's a good word. Representative. Representative of what? The country that's sending you. And where are ambassadors typically sent? Perhaps to another country, right? And when an ambassador is sent from one country to another country, what are they bringing with them when they arrive? Can we sum it up? Some kind of a message, right? One, the ambassador who leaves America and goes wherever they go, they've been sent with a word. Now here's what you learn about ambassadors. They never write policy. They only deliver it. They, they never write it, they only deliver it. And if you were to follow the trail of this word in first century Greek, what you would discover is that an ambassador is someone sent by a king to another country, and when he arrived, he had to be loyal to the message he was sent with. Sometimes the message that an ambassador is sent with is not popular. For example, an ambassador cannot look at their briefing papers the same way they might look at a menu in a cafeteria where you just select, you know, a few things that suit your taste. You know, I'll eat this, but I won't eat that. I'll tell them about economic development because they'll love hearing about how they can have increased revenues. But I won't dare tell them about social reforms. A loyal ambassador won't deliver just half their briefing papers. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be loyal to the message that their king has sent. I should point out the word we in verse 20. Look, look at your Bibles. How many have the word we somewhere prior to ambassadors? We are ambassadors. So th this message that we're, this lesson, this teaching, it's not meant for guys like Paul. It's meant for guys like the Corinthians. Because Paul's telling the Corinthians, we are ambassadors. What should the outcome be? Do we want to ask that question?
Well, here, here's the outcome. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you the outcome before we get there. Every person in this room must live loyal lives controlled by the love of Christ by becoming an ambassador. Let, let me say that again. Every person in this room must live loyal lives controlled by the love of Christ by becoming an ambassador. Do you know what would happen if that happened? The Lord will start adding day by day to our number. The, the Lord will constantly add to our number. Now, what is our king's message that we must deliver? Look at verse 18. How many have the words, the ministry of reconciliation? Do we have those words in verse 18? The ministry of reconciliation. Now that tells us our mission. In other words, when we live point A and go to point B as an ambassador, we have a ministry. And that ministry is found in the word reconciliation. And that word appeared several times in the verses that we read. This is where loyalty becomes very difficult. Here's where it becomes very tempting to leave out some of the words in our briefing papers. And here's why. Why do we need to be reconciled? Well, listen to the same author who wrote 2 Corinthians 5. He wrote Romans 5 and 10. I want you to pay attention for one word and tell me what that one word is that might be tempting to the ambassador to leave out this in the message. Okay? For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What word can you imagine we might be tempted to leave out when one person is sent by a king to another country where we're going to talk to that king? What, what word in the verse that I just read, tied to reconciliation, might we want to leave out? Say that again, Richard. Yeah. Imagine you are being sent to someone who has wronged someone. And let's just for a moment realize, right, the one you've wronged is God. That, that's who you've wronged. You, you didn't wrong people. President Trump, you didn't wrong President Obama, right? You, you've wronged God. And what does the Bible say that makes you? An enemy. You know, it's so much easier to go with briefing papers that say this. God loves you. God loves you. Now, wait a minute. That's true. That's true. But that's only part of the briefing papers. The briefing papers need loyal ambassadors. Lo loyal to the entire message contained in your briefing papers. It's so easy. It's so much easier to say, Lord, God, God has a plan for your life. God, God, God wants to prosper you. God, God wants to he, he wants to bless you. To be an ambassador, listen, to be an ambassador 
And this is why a lot of churches don't experience what they experienced in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Because to be an ambassador, listen, you have to be willing to enter enemy territory. And the answer when you enter enemy territory is not to leave out your ministry, which is a reconciliation ministry. Now, this is serious. The ambassador should take this very seriously, and there's a key word in verse 20 that I want to introduce us to that ought to tell us how serious this is to God. How many have the word beg in verse 20? What is it, Fran? Pleading? Implore? Implore? Anyone have beg? Appeal? Beg? Okay. We beg people to be reconciled to God. How many here know the name Mike Tyson? Do we all know that name? The, young, the younger crowd may not know the name. But, but, back, but back in the day, he was a rough hombre. Now imagine your kid, your son comes home from school, and he says, Dad, Mom, I'm going to have a fight after school. Who are you fighting? Fighting Mike Tyson, Dad. Do you think Dad ought to beg him? Don't go. Don't go. See, there, there's force in the word beg. It reminds us of the seriousness of the consequences when you start begging people, appealing to people. Uh, the word is deomai. Jesus told a parable of a man who died in unbelief and was in Hades. Do we know that story? Luke 16 and 27, listen. And he said then, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. Do you have this picture in your mind? Here's a man who died. He died in unbelief. He's in Hades. He's experiencing torment. He, he's just begging for one little drop of water. Please, just one little drop of water. And what is he begging for? Please send someone to my father's house that they might repent. You starting to get a feel for the force of this word? What does Jesus know? What does Paul know that we need to know? Well, listen to this. Well, who can that be? Everybody's here. Maybe we have a visitor. <laughs> they saw the sign. Living Word Bible Church, meeting on the fourth floor. L listen carefully. Luke 16, 27 and 28. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. This place of torment. Do you see why we beg people? You see, if you die an enemy of God, you're going to go to this place of torment. We want people to become the friend of God. Who wrote the word beg in verse 20? What, who's the human author? Paul. 
Well, listen to what Paul did in Acts 21 and 39. But Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. We're just following the trail of this word. Why? Because we're seeing the force of it, the seriousness of it, the consequences of not being reconciled. I beg you to be reconciled. Yeah. Do you know what Do you know what our Lord who has moved the Bible to take place knows? Who told that parable about the rich man and the poor man and 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 the and the rich man who died in unbelief who's in Hades who's begging someone to be sent? Who's telling that story? Who is telling us to beg in this chapter in 2 Corinthians 5? Look at verse 20 again. We beg on Paul's behalf. Look at verse 20. We beg on Paul's behalf. We beg on Christ's behalf. See, we're doing this because Christ wants us to do it. Why does Christ want us to do it? Christ knows the consequences. He's been on the other side. We haven't been on the other side yet. We know nothing about Hades. We know nothing about hell. We can read about it. Who created Hades and hell? God did. Jesus knows what you need to avoid. And so he's imploring us to implore others. He's appealing to us to appeal to others. He's begging us to beg others. This is what it takes to be an ambassador. Why are we not like this? Why are we not like this? Listen, I'm not like this. I'm, I, I'm not part of the solution. I'm part of the problem. I need this lesson as much, if not more, than all of you. Why am I not like this? Answer, verse 14. Christians controlled or compelled by his love. I'd like to think I'm controlled and compelled by the love of Christ, but hey, Michael, are you willing to ask yourself the question? What question? What is the outcome, Michael? What, what, what is the outcome? Because if we dare go there, if we dare go there, and I need to. I was just telling John that I witnessed four Mormon missionaries in a hot tub when I came back from Teen Challenge. That's 1984. I have forgotten more about the Bible than I knew in 1984. I have a boatload of knowledge these days that I didn't have back in 1984. Let me tell you what I had back in 1984. I was controlled more by the love of Christ. He just saved me out of drug addiction. He, he just saved me from almost near death. He saved me and salvation was fresh and vibrant and new. 
and exciting. And if four Mormon missionaries wanted to debate me in a hot tub, I was game. Today, I'm afraid that if I was in a hot tub with four Mormon missionaries, I might just say something like, how you doing? What's the temperature? Getting a little hot. Well, you're, you're, you're controlled. I'm not going to stop. Let's talk about this word controlled and compelled. Would everybody here be willing to agree with me that the church has been pretty strong on preaching the love of God? What is the verse of Scripture quoted more than any other verse of Scripture? Right? Now, and, and when I was at the conference, I was cringing. Because one of the, when it was time for you to do your little five minute sermon lesson, guy quoted John 3.16. He said, there's the gospel. There's the gospel. For all the gospel preaching that comes through the pathway of that one verse, God loves you. Why hasn't it produced ambassadors like we're going to read about and learn about between now and the first Sunday in December. Are we willing to ask the question, what question? What is the outcome? Has that text quoted more than any other love text produced people controlled by the love of Christ, who live for Christ, who are loyal to Christ by begging people? to be reconciled to an enemy that they know nothing about? I don't think it has. Well, and, and, and listen to this verse, Fran. Paul wrote in Philippians 1 and 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Apart from the Word of God. Apart from what Christ went through for us. Well, we're getting there. We're getting there. That's part of the, that's part of the Word of God, and we're getting there. But here, I want to make a couple of observations just from the text. Number one, we need to start praying for one another. And this I pray. We need to start praying that our love would abound. Now, here's what that tells me. I don't care where you are in the spectrum of love, there's room for more love in you. Right? The Philippians were a very loving congregation. Nobody shared with Paul in the matter of giving and receiving more than they. They were a loving bunch. They loved Paul. But there's room for more. But listen, it's got to be tied to real knowledge and discernment. There's a lot of people out there preaching a whole lot about love. And there aren't a lot of Christians that are discerning enough because they're not being exposed to real knowledge about the subject so as to have real love. Real love. 1 John 3 and 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. That's what I want us to see. I want us to see in the Word of God how great a love we've received. Let's talk about the word controls or compels. How many have that word in verse 14? Su neho. Su neho. 
I love the New English Bible translation of Sun Neho. Listen to what it says. Christ's love leaves us no choice. Christ's love leaves us no choice. Now, why no choice? Well, let's follow the trail of the word. Luke 8 and 45, and, and Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. That word crowding, it's the word suneho. Now here's what's going on in Luke 8. Crowds are coming from all different villages, and they're all congregating where Jesus is. Okay? Now here's, what, here's why the New English translation says Christ's love leaves us no choice. When you've got crowds of people coming from all over the place, and John, they're crowding in on you, the crowd controls you. You don't control the crowd, do you? They're pressing in on you. You have no choice. You can't move. Jesus even asked the question, who touched me? The reason why he asked the question is, he was so smothered by people. He couldn't move. He had no choice. That's what's meant by the word suneho. We are so controlled by the love of Christ. Listen, we have no choice but to live loyal lives as ambassadors for Christ. That's context, folks. I mean, that, that's just the context of what we're learning. We're just piecemealing the words. We're putting the context together. We're coming to a conclusion. We're coming to a what? An outcome. An outcome. What is the outcome then, brethren? You know, love ought to move us. Love ought to control us. It ought to compel us. Ask yourself this question. What really moves me? What really gets me emotional? What moves me to a course of action whereby whatever moved me, it left me no choice but to result in this? Right? Your, your child is sick. What lengths would you go? Right? Your, 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 your wife is sick. What lengths will you go? You're unemployed, and you can't make your mortgage payment, and you don't want to be homeless. What lengths will you go? In other words, circumstances have a way of moving us into action, right? And, and the, the more serious the circumstances, the more swift, the more passionate, the more vigorous the action will become. Christ's love ought to move me. It ought to move me. You know, if you study the life of Paul, you can't fail. You can fail to wonder what made him so, so passionate. What, what made this man like he was? Answer? He was controlled by the love of Christ. Now we're going to get real specific. Because it's not just the con being controlled by the love of Christ, take your pick, what specifically are we talking about? There's something very specific in 2 Corinthians 5, and then it's woven through many of his letters, this same thing. Allow me to read verses 14 and 15 again. 
See if you could tell me what's controlling his love. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but him who died and rose again on their behalf. What's motivating his love? The death of Christ. The death of Christ. The very truth that he begs sinners to be reconciled with, namely the cross of Christ, is the very truth that moves him. Let me read it again, Romans 5 and 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. So we beg people to be reconciled to God through the death of his Son. That's where it all begins. That's where salvation begins. That is an inextricable part of the gospel message. Jesus died for sins. It's all in 2 Corinthians 5. Now that same message that we begin to lead people to Christ with now becomes the message for the rest of my life that controls me, consumes me, compels me. Now you know why I'm such a stickler for a weekly communion. I'm not just a stickler for a weekly communion because I believe the Bible teaches it. I'm not just a stickler for a weekly communion because the church all the way up until, say, the late 1800s and early 1900s broke bread every week. I'm a stickler for communion because it keeps the cross of Jesus Christ central to my gathering every Sunday. And what am I supposed to do when I leave this place Monday through Saturday? I need to be an ambassador out there. And, and I need to be reminded. You know, anyone remember what my favorite hymn is? I used to always have Brian sing it, and can it be, and can it be. In the hymn is a question. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's amazing love. And that love ought to control us. It ought to consume us. It ought to motivate us. Now, if it hasn't, if, if, you, can, if, you, can, if you can join me in saying, you know what, I know this stuff. This ain't the first time I've heard this stuff. But, but i got to be honest. I'm not controlled by this stuff to the point that I'm begging people because listen, in order to have day-by-day -day conversions, you've got to have day-by-day -day what? Begging. There's got to be day-by-day. -day. People aren't getting saved apart from the, the message. People are not getting saved apart from the early church telling people about Jesus Christ. Right? The, the two are, are tied together. Yes, the Lord is sovereign in salvation. Right, Because it says the Lord was adding to their numbers. The Lord was constantly. But he was adding to their numbers within a church that were consumed and controlled and compelled by his love. Is that us? L listen to these verses. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So again, Paul is tying together what? What two truths? The love of God and the death of his son. Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So again, Paul is linking, right, God's love for him and the death of his son. 1 John 3 and 16, known as the other John 3.16. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. So the gospel writers, and this is just a short sampling of the repleteness of the Bible, constantly wanting to keep before us God's love for us and the death of his son for us. Why? To be compelled and controlled by it. Here's how we can know we are controlled by the love of Christ. Because of the cross of Christ, you become an ambassador for Christ. It's just that simple. What will be the outcome? I want to do two things between now and the first Sunday in December when we're going to kick off a 22-week series in the book of the Revelation. I want to keep two truths before us. Number one, why, how, What can we learn from God's word so that more of God's love can be poured into our souls? I'm reluctant to ask this question. I want you to think of the person who has loved you the most in your life. Think of that person who has loved you the most in in this life. Set aside Jesus Christ, because trust me, no human person has ever loved you more than Jesus. But set him aside for a moment. Think of the person who has loved, shown you the most love. Has that, has that resulted in positive action in return to them? It should. What, what does that make you if you've been so loved and you don't reciprocate? You're, a, you're an ingrate. <laughs> there's something terribly wrong with you, right? That you're you're the bite you're the bite the hand that feeds you person. If if a person has so loved you and you haven't reciprocated, well, amazing love, how can it be that my God should die for me? God died for me. What ought that to do to me? Well, God wants to want you to become an ambassador of his. He's got briefing papers. That's, that's the thing that really totally changed me, is when I finally accepted <coughs> that he really did die for me. Yeah. Because I couldn't, I couldn't understand that. You know, how I couldn't believe it. But when I finally came to accept it, that changed me totally. Can you see, Richard, why Howard Hendricks would tweak his... His, his, his students' morning tradition of telling Jesus how much you love him, begin first with how much the Lord loved you, because it's that love that's going to motivate you to live for him. And so this is what we're going to do over the coming weeks. We're going to combine two things together. We're going to experience the love of God in the Word of God, 
but we're also going to learn how to be a people person. Remember, that, that, that's kind of where all this originated, right? A people person that saves, learns, learns to identify with all kinds of people. Look, if you're an ambassador and you're leaving America and you're heading to the Middle East or Africa with a message, you, you better learn how to identify with those people when you get there. And, but you also need to be controlled by the love of God when you get there. So, look at that. Two minutes to 12, I'm done. Um, we, we can, if you want, have a, a, a few comments or thoughts, and, and, uh, and then we're going to have a meeting. Austin and Jason, I've... Let him, let him sleep. Anybody have any quick thoughts before we...